Last week, we began the Grow series with me challenging you to think of it in a particular way. Because as human beings, we're different from all other life. Plant life and animal life are sort of programmed in by God, but you and I as human beings are given the gift of the stewardship of our growth. So in a way, as I shared with you last week, we're sort of like the farm and the farmer. We have life in us, and so therefore we're like the farm, but by the same token, we're also given the gift of managing our growth, so we're like the farmer. And I challenge you to think about your farm or your life in terms of of fields, because how we invest in those fields will will have a lot to do with the crop. So I challenge you to think about life in terms of a relationship field and a financial field and a personal development field and your physical health as a field and most of all your relationship with God which involves your purpose for living. So last weekend, I challenged you to visit your fields. And I said, when you visit your fields, don't, don't go with a sense of shame that leads to guilt. Because when we start looking into our lives and seeing how we're doing in various areas, we're inclined to visit the fields that are looking good, and we're disinclined to visit the fields where we might have some problems. So I challenge us to visit all our fields, because what I said was, God doesn't want you to live in guilt. He wants you to visit your fields with a sense of opportunity. And I left you with this. You know, every time you see a field ready for harvest, whether it's waving grain, the beautiful grain that we see in June, every field where you see a crop growing, there was once a farmer who looked at that field and he or she said, nothing's going on here, but something could. And that's how I challenge you to visit your fields. If you go to your financial field today and it doesn't look good, don't go with the shame that leads to guilt and say, well, I shouldn't have overspent and I shouldn't have borrowed the money. Go with the sense of of honesty that leads to opportunity and say, what's going on here shouldn't be going on here, but something could be going on here. Or if it's your relationship field and it's not happening for you in your marriage or an important relationship, you can say, it's not happening like it should be, but it could be. So that's where we left it last week. So today we want to we want to take our first step in looking at what does it take to grow in life? Let's just say you go to one field or two fields. I know i I visited all my fields. When the, when the fourth service was over last week, I ate lunch and I went to the Y to work out and there was a new spring in there and he was still buzzing about the message and, and I said, yeah, I was over on one of the machines visiting my fields. And if you're like me and you visit a field and it's not happening like it should, what does it take to get a crop growing there? If you're dealing with relationships that are not healthy, what does it take to get your crop growing there? If you, let's just say your relationship with God is lagging. There was a time when you were closer to God than you are today. What does it take to get any of your fields to begin to grow? Today, we're going to look at a starting point, and it's it's huge. It's game-changing. And my message today is called Ag Futures, and I'll tell you why I came up with that quirky title. I moved to Kansas uh, in June of 1985 from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and the only other place I'd lived was Houston. That was where my first church was. So I was accustomed to very large metropolitan areas. And so for, for us to move to Wichita, I was concerned about moving to a small city. I was concerned about what I was going to give up. And I was blessed to find out pretty quickly that we had everything here in Wichita pretty much that we had in the Metroplex. Uh, somebody even told me they broadcast the Cowboy games, which I was grateful for at the time. doesn't mean so much now, but back then it meant more. Um, and, and the only thing that we didn't have was Bluebell ice cream. And we have that now. But I do remember this. This this was back in the days before cable had a million channels and certainly before the information age. And so it was back in the era where, at least in the Metroplex, most of the people still watched some local news at night. And the the people that we had who did the local news, they were kind of like rock stars. And it was a stepping off place to great things. A lot of the guys who were doing the sports 
at 10.30 every night are now doing national sports. And there are people on the desk at ABC, CBS, and NBC who were doing the news in Dallas-Fort Worth. So I was accustomed to that, and I was concerned that when we moved to Kansas, it would be different. I never will forget that first June night when we moved in. Mary Alice was still unpacking boxes. And I took the television out, didn't have cable yet, put on an antenna, and listened to the, watched the 10 o'clock news. And I remember my response. I think it was, I think it was Roger Cornish. Is Susan Peters, and I think it was Bruce Hartle. I thought, these guys are as good as anybody we had in Dallas. And they'll be lucky if they can keep them, which we were and are. Wichita is a blessed city. I think sometimes we're more blessed than we realize we are. But I remember thinking, wow, these guys are really good. But about eight minutes into the news, I ran to the back room and got Mary Alice, and I said, you got to come see this. They have good news here. I had never watched the news and seen good news. Really, we were about eight minutes into the news and there was good news. I mean, where I'm from in Dallas-Fort Worth, the first 12, 15 minutes of the newscast, you're just finding out who got murdered last night and how they got killed. So there was good news. But then I came across something I'd never seen before, ag news, agriculture news. I was intrigued by that and interested in it, even though I grew up in the city in Fort Worth, didn't know a whole lot about it, but I still remember a particular term. I remember the term ag futures. And when I began to process what ag futures meant, it, it just was funny to me then and it's funny to me now because I realized that somewhere up in Chicago on the board of trade of the mercantile, there is a Stanford trade broker in a Brooks Brothers suit assigning value to what a wheat farmer in Hayes, Kansas is doing. That's just interesting to me. You know, somebody in, in Chicago or a group of analysts in Chicago are working out the calculus for what a wheat crop is going to be worth. And as of right now, there is no crop. It's just a farmer and soil and seed and equipment. The crop's not growing yet, perhaps, but somewhere brilliant people, urbane, sophisticated, brilliant analysts are assigning value to what farmers are doing in rural Kansas. Now, somebody could say, well, Mark, what, what in the world does that have to do with me growing as a person? Well, I just got to tell you, when I, when I first was acquainted with ag futures, there were two things that I wanted to learn from that. Number one is I learned very quickly, nobody's investing in pasts. Do you realize that? Nobody's investing capital in pasts because that's already settled. That's a done deal. And I thought about that, and that's important for me because, you know what, if I'm not careful, I can invest emotional capital in my past especially if I'm unhappy with my past or somebody has hurt me in my past or I feel like I've underperformed in my past, I can grieve over that. I can be unhappy with it. And you know what happens? I invest something in an area where the market is already settled. You know, a farmer can do several things with a past crop. He can cry about it. He can learn from it. Or he can get so discouraged that he quits farming. But the one thing a farmer can't do is regrow a crop. And today, I just want to challenge all of us to learn that from ag futures. There is no market in pasts. If when you visit your field, you're unhappy with what you find there, don't invest capital over what has already been done. Don't invest capital in what, are, what hasn't been done. You know, this is not a time for guilt. It's not a time for blaming people. It's certainly not a time for fantasizing about what you could have done or should have done. Let go of the past today, and if I could give you one piece of blessed encouragement, get in the futures market. Get in the futures market with your life.
Now, I could do a whole talk on this, and I'm almost cautious about going here because there's so many things I could say and should say and won't have time to say, but I think there are two key aspects to letting go of the past market, and they're these, and they both have to do with forgiveness. If you want to let go of the past, you have to forgive others, and you have to accept forgiveness. Forgive others. Now, what does it mean to forgive others? Because sometimes people say, well, Mark, you just do not realize how badly I've been hurt in life, and I can't forgive. You know why we say we can't forgive? A lot of times, we we don't understand what forgiveness is. We think forgiveness means I'm going to pretend it didn't happen. That's not forgiveness. That's denial. Or sometimes we're, we're reluctant to forgive because we think that forgiving means I have to restore this person back to a place of privilege, and if I do that, I might be vulnerable again. Restoration and forgiveness are not the same thing. Here's what forgiveness means. Forgiveness means I tear up the invoice. You don't owe me anymore. One of the greatest metaphors I can give you or mental pictures I can give you of forgiveness is this. When you and I don't forgive someone, it is like we have them in the cuffs. They have done something to us, and so we put the handcuffs on them, and we stay handcuffed to that person. But if you saw two individuals handcuffed to each other, you would know who was handcuffed to who, right? And what we need to understand is if we've got somebody in the cuffs, we're as much in the cuffs as they are. We're cuffed to the past. And so here's what I encourage you to do. If there's someone who has harmed you and you, you find yourself investing emotional capital in the past, let the person out of the cuffs. You need to do it for your freedom even more than their freedom. Turn them over to God and say, I tear up the invoice. You don't owe me anymore. The past market is closed. And then, of course, if you're like me and you visit your fields, I find a whole lot of my mistakes and failures in those fields. You know what? If I could, I could just just beat myself to pieces and say, God, I am such a failure. And I pray that prayer sometimes. But you know, God has got a standing offer on the table. I was reading. I shouldn't even go here. I don't have time to do this, but I can't help myself. I'm always reading. And so in between the services, I was looking on my iPhone, and I saw that Lance Armstrong is going on Oprah this week, and he might say that he did some doping. And, he, and, and I read, the purpose of it is he's like hoping for redemption. I'm so glad I don't have to go to Oprah. God bless her for redemption. <laughs> God has got a standing offer on the table. He said if we confess our sins, if we'll just man up or woman up, if we'll just be honest with God about our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And by the way, somebody could say, well, Mark, aren't we talking about failing here? Well, do you know the word for sin just means missing the mark? So in other words, if you've missed the mark in your past and you've come up short and stuff's not growing in your field, just go to God and man up, woman up, be honest about it and say, God, this is where I am. There is a standing offer on the table that God says he will forgive you and let you start fresh today. Guys, I love God, but what I love best about him is he will let you start over. In fact, the people who love you the most, they can't forget what you've done even if they forgive you. God has said if you will come to him and tell him what you've done wrong and ask for forgiveness, he'll not only forgive you, he'll forget what you've done. First thing I learned from ag futures is there's no market in pasts and there's no reason, there's no wisdom in continuing to invest capital in the past. The second thing that I learned is a little more complicated, and I probably need you to explain it to me more than I can explain it to you, but I do find it interesting. When I think about ag futures, I realize that somebody has seriously calculated expectations. You know, my inclination, I just figured corn's going to be worth what corn's worth. We'll find out what it's worth, and then we'll know. But that's not good enough for the futures market. 
See, there are people in the futures market that don't want to wait to find out what corn is worth. They want to anticipate. They want, they want to set a figure and behave as though that figure is correct. And what I'm challenged to do today is I'm challenged not to just look at my fields and say, this is not growing. I need to look at what could be growing and say, I anticipate that I'm going to have this growth in six months. I anticipate this is what my field is going to look like in a year. If I'm not developing myself personally, if I need to be reading books that are going to challenge me instead of watching vegging, you know, watching television, if I need to be reading books that are going to develop my mind, I need to determine which books I'm going to read and say in six months, I intend to read these books. This is where my field is going to be. If my finances are not in order right now, I mean, we're starting financial peace, which is a great opportunity this week. In six months, I plan to be here. In a year, I plan to be here. I learned from the ag market that you just don't just let it happen. Well, I want to encourage you today to start with me. I've got a starting point for you, and we're going to work strategically, and I want to give you these eight or nine things, and we'll move real quickly. But here's the thing that's going to happen. When this is over, you're going to be able to do something that probably 95% of Americans cannot do, and that is connect the dots. I'm, I, let me ask you a question, and you don't need to raise your hand. How many of you are in management? If you're in management, how many of you deal with people every day, and you think, if only they can connect the dots? If, just, if they could connect the dots. How many of you teach and say, if only they could connect the dots? Okay, here's, what, here's what's going to be great about this. If you want to grow, I'm not sure this is a great message. I just know this. When you walk out of here today, you're going to be able to connect the dots. And it's not because I have any scintillating wisdom. These are all biblical concepts. And so I'm going to get on my horse and ride. I'm going to talk fast. And if you will, just take notes and stay with me because when we walk out of here today, we're going to learn what most people do not know. And we're going to start with this one. If you want to start a crop, if you want something to start growing in your life, the first thing that you need to be aware of, number one, is the power of seed. The power of seed. You know, go back to the ag market for a moment, futures market. What is it that makes the guy in the $4,000 suit in Chicago or Kansas City or New York, what is it that makes the guy in, you know, who's never been on a farm in his life, what is it that makes him interested in rural Kansas? For instance, I know why they're interested in West Texas, oil. But what is it, if you think about it, what is the, I mean, because usually they make fun of us. They call us flyover country. What is it that makes all these sophisticated types so interested in what's going on in rural Kansas that they'll set a value, a cash value, that people will invest in all over the world? When you get right down to it, it's seed. That's what we have that's so precious and valuable. It's seed. Some of you have a background in wheat farming. I mean, I'm going I'm to sound foolish to you, but I just did what little research I could. And what I, what I discovered was, the return on wheat seed is something like three to 4,000%. Is that how you're doing in your CD at the bank? Three to 4,000%? Are you kidding me? That's why. See, seed is something that is extraordinarily powerful because there is life in the seed. God is the one who gave a seed. In fact, in the first chapter of the Bible, God says, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, every tree which has fruit yielding seed. God talks about plants, and both times he talked about seed. Why? Because that's what makes life renewable and sustainable. But beyond that, there is the principle of multiplication because if you plant a seed, you don't get just one grain of wheat for one seed planted. There is power in seed. There's life in seed. I don't know if any of you caught this article, but a couple years ago, it was a world news story. The oldest 
unplanted seed. The oldest dormant seed was planted that sprouted and, and came to life. There was a 2,000-year-old seed found in Masada in Israel. And actually, it was an extinct plant, the Judean date palm. And they planted the seed, and 26 months later, it was four feet tall, 2,000 years old. And what's really cool is the seed wasn't just for fruit. They, they had felt that there were healing properties in this particular plant. But that aside, isn't it interesting that there is life in seed? Okay, you and I know we're not talking about wheat and milo here. We're talking about finances, career, relationships, physical health, personal development. There's power in seed. Okay, here's number two. You and I are planting seeds. We need to think of this. This is where people stop connecting the dots. You and I are planting seeds every day in our fields. In Galatians 6, 7, God says, what a person plants, he will harvest. And we're not talking about cucumbers here. We're talking about life. And God is saying, what you plant, you will harvest. Now, here's a formula for all of us to work, work on. And this is where the dots start getting connected. Every thought I think, every word I say, every action I perform, and every attitude I hold is a seed. We can talk about living in the moment, but nobody's living in the moment. We're planting seeds. We're doing things in the moment, but they have long-term ramifications. And this is where it's really serious. Every thought I think, every word I say, every deed I do, every attitude I hold is a seed. And I am planting those seeds in that field. Let me just take, for instance, the field of relationships. In my case, my marriage. Every word I say to Mary Alice, everything I do that involves her, every attitude I hold toward her, every, every thought I even think about her is a seed that I'm planting in that relationship field. And if I'm, you know, if I'm planting healthy seed, a good crop is going to come up. And that, that takes me to the third thought here. The seeds that we're planting can either be good or bad. In Galatians 6, the Bible says the person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God harvests a crop of real life. Hosea says, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. One of my favorite verses in the Bible that I try to think about almost every day, James chapter 3, verse 18, the Bible says, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace. And reap a harvest of righteousness. Have you ever, you ever know a peacemaker? Somebody that's just, just good at, 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 at stopping conflict. Somebody who is good, at, if necessary, at investing personal capital just to make peace. You ever notice how that those, life seems to work for those people? It's because they're planting seeds. The fourth thought is that harvest is inevitable. Take a snapshot of your life today. And this is where it could get a little uncomfortable, so please, this is not about shame that leads to guilt. This is just about a sense of opportunity. But today's harvest, your snapshot today, today's harvest, where you are today, is yesterday's seed. And honestly, when I look at my life, I have planted some good seed, and I am eating that harvest today. I have also planted some bad seed, and I'm dealing with that harvest today. Today's harvest is yesterday's seed. Tomorrow's harvest is today's seed. There's an interesting preface to the verse that I gave a moment ago. I didn't read it, but in Galatians 6, 7, it says, do not be deceived. A man reaps what he sows. 
Now, I grew up in church, and so I've heard verses on, I've heard sermons on this verse all my life, and I, I never really thought about it until I realized what a, forgive me, what an almost ridiculous statement that is. It's like saying, don't be deceived. If the picture is cucumbers, you're going to get cucumbers. You know, don't be, I mean, if you went to a farmer who's planting wheat and you said to him, hey, 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 don't be deceived. If you're planting wheat, wheat's going to come up. He's going to look at you like you need to be committed and say, duh. So why is something that is so well understood in the natural world, why is it such that when it comes to planting seed as human beings, God has to say, don't be deceived. There is a compelling and powerful reason for it. And it's a lot of you drive 100 miles one way to be at New Spring. This is worth driving in just to get this. Do you know why we tend to be deceived about the seed we plant? What do you do with seed? You bury it. That's the problem with the seed that we plant, good seed and bad seed. We bury it. And by burying it, I mean we don't see the instant response And a lot of times you can plant good seed and and there won't be a good response for a while. Or you can plant bad seed and everything will seem to be going just fine. I think about a couple of guys in the Bible. And I'm not going to take a long time to tell their stories. You can read about them if you want to. But one guy is Joseph. He's my favorite character in the Old Testament. His story begins in Genesis uh, chapter 37 and ends in chapter 50. I love the story of Joseph. Joseph was sold by his brothers. Some of you had a hard time with, you know, getting together with family at Thanksgiving and Christmas. What would it be like to be sold by your siblings? They sold him as a slave. And he's taken to Egypt. Doesn't know anybody there, doesn't know the language. He winds up the lowest slave in the house working for this guy that's probably one of the richest guys in the country with this huge estate. And Joseph is the guy who has to shovel the stuff in the barn and clean it, you know, do the stuff that nobody else wants to do. But he always brings his A game. No matter what he does, Joseph always brings his A game, and he starts getting promoted until finally, he, in his early 20s, he becomes business manager for this rich guy. Joseph is wearing a nice suit. He's driving a nice car. Well, he's not really, but if you'll just allow me the anachronism, Joseph is living a good life. I mean, he goes from being the bottom guy to the top guy in the house. The only problem is this rich guy is married to arm candy, a hottie that begins to flirt with Joseph. And she wants to get Joseph in bed with her. And Joseph keeps fouling off her pitches until one day he can't help it. She just grabs him. And Joseph said, look, I cannot do this thing. At that moment, Joseph is about to make a decision that is like a seed. And he does the right thing. He plants good seed. Now, some of you who know the story, tell me where he wound up later that day. Jail. It's buried. The woman claimed that Joseph tried to rape her. The husband believed her, and Joseph goes to jail. I mean, here's the thing. He could have given in. He could have had sex with the woman, and everything would have sailed right on. He would have still collected a paycheck, and everything would have been fine. But instead, he did the right thing, and the seed gets buried. See, the problem that we have with planting good seed and planting bad seed is we tend to have the same response. Since it's buried, we say, well, it doesn't matter. Joseph's inclination would have been to say, it doesn't matter. I tried to do the right thing, and it didn't matter. The other guy I think about is David. David was a great guy, but in the middle years, he, he, began to, he began to allow some stuff into his life that wasn't right, and he accidentally saw the woman next door taking a bath, and 
He couldn't get it out of his head. And one day he just, he said, well, come, let's just go to Starbucks and have coffee. And then he invited her back to the palace. And the next thing you know, they're having an affair. And then she texts him later and says, I'm pregnant. Now, David didn't anticipate this because, after all, the woman's husband is away fighting a war. He's one of David's most loyal military guys. He's like a Navy SEAL. He's like a special ops. He's like a Marine's Marine. I mean, and, and so, I mean, how would that look? I mean, here's David, the guy that wrote the 23rd Psalm, getting a case for the next-door neighbor, having an affair with her, getting her pregnant while her husband is in the field. And so David is thinking, i got to cover this thing up. And so he, he, you know, he sends a message for her husband to come home, thinks that by sending him home, he'll, you know, he'll get together with his wife and everybody will figure that the baby is his. But he's such a noble soldier that he won't go home while his brother's soldiers are in the field. And he sleeps out in the palace hallway. And so David figures out the only thing he can do to cover, to bury his sin, is to have him killed. And then he'll marry the woman. And he'll, he'll come off looking like, what a noble king married the young war widow. And shamefully, he, I mean, he sends Uriah back to the battle with his own death notice. He said, put Uriah in the front of the battle where the guys were sure to get killed. And the commander sent back the message and said, everything is fine. Isn't that interesting? Joseph did the right thing, and he went to jail. David did the wrong thing, and, everybody, and David thought, well, this is really cool. I've covered it up. Everything is fine. But it wasn't fine, was it? In fact, if you look at Joseph's story, what happened to Joseph? Joseph got promoted. For, he, he went in one day from being a prisoner wearing an orange jumpsuit to the most powerful man in the world, and nothing but good happened in Joseph's life for the rest of his life. Guys, i got to tell you something. There are some verses I read in the Bible, and a cold chill goes up my spine when I read them. When I read the last verse of 2 Samuel chapter 11, I mean, I get this shudder because David thinks he has covered up his sin. But there's this one little snippet, the last line of chapter 11 said, but the thing that David did displeased the Lord. And you look at David's life and see if he ever had a good day after that. His family imploded, his country, he had a civil war. It was like nothing good ever happened again. See, the reason God said, be not deceived, whatever you plant, you're going to harvest is when we plant seed, we bury it. There may not be an instant response, but God is saying, if you plant good seed, good things will happen. And if you plant bad seed, bad things will happen. Okay, well, let's go forward here. Number six, planting good seed is always more expensive. I never can figure out why this is the case. For some reason, it's always more costly to do the right thing. If I'm going to do the right thing in my finances, it's always more difficult. If I'm going to do the right thing in my marriage, it's always more difficult. Usually, planting bad seed means doing whatever I feel like doing. Good seed is always more expensive. In fact, here's what the Bible says in Psalm 126, verse 5. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. In other words, a lot of times when you're doing the right thing, it's going to be a painful experience. But if you do and if you believe in the futures market, you will have a, a crop that will make you, have, make you have joy. Now, suppose you go to one of your fields today and say, I need to, I need to see a good crop start here. Number seven, the status quo has to go. Status quo has to go. You cannot put seed in a field until you break up the soil. And guys, i got to tell you something. 
I know in my life, there's got to be some change in my life. I'm going to have to break up the status quo. In some cases, it may mean getting up earlier in the morning. In other cases, it may mean reading books that wouldn't be my first choice to read. I mean, I maybe have to read things that are on a higher level than I want to. It may mean I can't watch as much ESPN. It may mean that I need to invest more in my wife's life than I invest in my life. The Bible says this in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, plow up the hard ground of your hearts, for now is the time to seek the Lord. Number eight, something's going to grow in your fields. Guys, there, there, there are two ways you can respond to this talk. You can mentally flip it off and just, <laughs> I don't really care. Or you can embrace it but there's one response you can't give to this talk. You can't be neutral about this because something is going to grow in your field. You can't just say, well, I'm not going to have a relationship field. Yeah, something's going to grow there. You can say, I'm, I'm not even going to consider my finances. Something's going to grow there. And you can say, I don't even believe in God. Something's going to grow in that field. Something is going to grow in your field. You say, I'm not going to make the elective decision to plant any seeds. Something's going to grow in your field. There's a verse in the Bible that I want you to look at for a few minutes, and then we'll close out. I call it a bachelor's degree in a sentence because to me, there's so many powerful truths in it. It's, it's Proverbs 20, verse 4. I want you to look at it for a moment. It says, a sluggard does not plow in season. Now, some translations will say winter because the season of, of, of planting and plowing was, was winter. A sluggard does not plow in season, so at harvest time he looks. The word looks there means he demands a crop. Boy, that's an American thing, isn't it? So at harvest time he demands a crop, but he finds nothing. Let's work on that a few moments, then we'll go home. It tells me, first of all, there is a season for planting. Now, here's the thing. There, you should always be planting seed, but there's an optimum season for planting seeds. You should always be planting seeds for your physical health, but there's an optimum time. I'm trying to get myself in shape right now. And the problem with that is at 56, it is much harder than it would have been if I had done that 20 years ago. But the problem was I ate my way through planting season and vegged my way through it. So I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the best available thing, but there was a season for planting. And it's true, there's a season for planting in your marriage. There's a season for planting if you've got kids. There's a season for planting in career development. There's a season for planting in personal development. Any field that you want to talk about, there is an optimum season for planting. The issue is, And number nine, it's usually not at a convenient time. I got to tell you something, and, and I don't want to belabor this, but, you know, there have been so many guys who came to talk to me about their marriage after it was over. And you know what happened? For, for years, their wives have been telling them, we have a problem, we have a problem, let's go talk to somebody, let's get help. We don't have a problem. I don't want to air a dirty laundry in front of anybody oh, we have a problem, please, I'll go with you. Anywhere you want to go, I'll go talk to any pastor you want to talk to, I'll go talk to any counselor. Oh, we don't have a problem. Yeah, we don't have a problem, it's just you. 
And then all of a sudden, she finally quits and gives up. And the next thing I know, I can't get that guy out of my office. He's like waiting for me when I come into my office. He's waiting for me when I get out of my office. If he gets my cell phone number, I'm going to phone front call for him. I mean, he is willing to confess to anything up to the Kennedy assassination. He will go to any counseling. And, of course, she's finished. She's through here. The deal was there was a season for planning, but it wasn't convenient for him. And when he finally got around to a convenient season, the door was closed. There are parents who suddenly get interested in parenting when their kid turns 14, and they got tattoos everywhere, and they're screaming and yelling, saying, I hate you. And the parent is saying, you know what? I really think I maybe should be taking some time off from work and investing in my kids. That would have been a heck of an idea when they were two. <laughs> and still, and don't get me wrong, I mean, you do the optimum thing that you can do at the moment, but there's a season for planning. And here's the reason why the guy didn't invest in his marriage. It wasn't convenient. Here's the reason why people don't invest in their kids when they're young. It isn't convenient. They're too busy building a career or doing other things. Is it ever convenient to plant good seed? It's always more expensive, always more difficult. Is it ever convenient? See, there's, there are optimum seasons for planting. And the problem that we have, we go back to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4, is a sluggard doesn't do it. What a word, sluggard. It just communicates so much. In Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 4, the Bible tells us, farmers who wait for perfect weather will never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. In other words, if you wait for a convenient time to start working on your finances... You can say, well, you know what? I really need to like put this new, new wardrobe on plastic, but let me do that first, and then I'll work on my finances. And then it says one more time, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4, a sluggard does not plow in season in winter, so at harvest time he looks but finds nothing. Guys, I want us to be able to connect the dots today. I have no right to demand a harvest where I haven't planted seed. If I haven't invested in Mary Alice, I don't have a right to demand a perfect wife. I don't have a right to demand a perfect wife anyway, but I'm just saying I don't have any right to demand a harvest if I haven't planted. If I haven't invested in my kids, I don't have any right to demand a harvest. If I haven't invested in my career, I don't have any right to demand a harvest. i got to connect the dots, see. The field I planted is the field I'm harvesting. The field I'm planting today is the field that I will harvest tomorrow. Connect the dots. Well, I want to close by giving you a statement that could sound cliche, but it isn't cliche. It's just so true. I don't know that I could give you anything more foundational. But if you visit your fields today and things are not what they should be, consider this statement. Yesterday is the last day of your past. Don't invest any more capital in it. Yesterday is the last day of your past. Tomorrow is the first day of your future. That makes today the day of decision. That makes today the day where you say, this is where I'm starting. I'm going to start planting. In some of our cases, I'm going to stop planting bad seed. I'm going to stop just letting it happen. I am going to start investing good seed. Even if, like Joseph, it cost me. I believe in the Lord of the harvest. I'm going to invest good seed. 
And I promise you, God more than forget me, God promises you, you will harvest what you plant. Guys, thank you for listening today. I appreciate you being here. Let me just say this to you before we, before we leave. Just, just bow your heads with me for a moment, please, as we pray. I could be talking to somebody here today, and you're saying, Mark, I love that part about letting go of my past, but I don't know how to, how do I know for sure that I'm forgiven? Well, the Bible tells us this, and we give you some, some basic facts from God's Word. The Bible says all of us are sinners, so if you feel like a sinner, put her there, partner. The guy standing on stage is one too. All of us are sinners. The Bible tells us that God loves us so much, he did not want us to pay for our sin. Every sin will be paid for, but instead of us paying for it, God worked out a marvelous plan. He gave his son, Jesus. And Jesus came to our world. We just celebrated at Christmas, God and human at the same time. And he lived the perfect life that you and I can't live. And then he laid down on a Roman cross, and he took the punishment for us. He took our whipping. He took our sin on him. And the Bible says that anyone who will put confidence in Jesus, if you will believe in him as your Savior and Lord, if you'll let him pinch hit for you and invite him to come into your life, the Bible promises you that God will forgive you. He will release you from your past because your sins have been placed on Jesus. And he'll forgive you and make you God's daughter, God's son. And all you have to do is ask. And I'm going to pray a prayer. If you want to join me, these aren't magic words. The important thing is what you mean in your heart. But if you, if you mean this, God will hear you. Okay? Let's pray. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died in my place. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I ask you to forgive me. And make me God's child. Thank you for freeing me from my past and giving me new life. In Jesus' name, amen.